0: Hello and welcome to Extra Innings from the Ballpark, a podcast from the U.S. Center at the London School of Economics. He doesn't have a birth certificate or he hasn't shown it. He has what's called a certificate of live birth. That is something that's easy to get. I'm Chris Gilson and that was Donald Trump speaking back in 2011 about President Obama's birth certificate and his doubts over where the president was born.
1: Well, this is an election like no other. And what makes it so different than any election in recent history is Donald Trump's use of conspiracy theories.
0: And that's Joe Uzynski,
1: Associate Professor of Political Science at University of Miami. Joe's been a
0: frequent contributor to the USAP blog, which I edit, and he recently stopped by the LSC. My co-host, Denise Barron, and I caught up with Joe over a pint. (laughs) And we discussed a surprisingly central theme of the 2016 presidential election, which is also the focus of Joe's research, conspiracy theories in American politics. What might have seemed like a niche interest has now entered the mainstream with Donald Trump's consistent conspiratorial references.
1: Unlike any other candidate, he has relied on them to gather a base of support. He started out in 2011 with conspiracy theories about the president, and those conspiracy theories resonated with about half of the Republican Party. And that was apparently the half that he needed to win, particularly in a race where there was 19 candidates. So Trump was able to get all of these conspiratorial, disaffected Republicans to come and vote for him. And the other half of the Republican Party, which is less conspiratorial and more establishment, was divided up amongst eighteen other candidates. So Trump was able to walk away uh with the nomination. Now, back in twenty eleven he was pushing the birth certificate theory that the president was born in some other country and was secretly hiding it when the president finally released his full-form birth certificate. Trump then said that the college transcripts were faked and we needed to find the real transcripts. Now he's moved on to say that that the president is a member of ISIS. So the rhetoric is really the same. It all boils down to the other side is conspiring against us. And his favorite tagline is, we need to find out what's going on. There's something going on here. And phrases like that are, are patently conspiratorial. There's something happening. We don't know what it is. Everything that we see is not real. There's some subterfuge taking place. Now, the problem that he's having, particularly in the last month, is now that he has gotten the nomination, his rhetoric hasn't really moved past it. He had a real opportunity after the, after the Orlando shootings to come out and say, you know, I'm going to fight terrorism and I'm going to do it good and my heart is with the victims. Instead, he came out with more conspiracy theorizing. And it didn't do anything for him. He raised virtually no money um, last month. Um, He just started his fundraising campaign. He has very few endorsements. The Republican Party is very skittish about him, and he's not doing very well. So conspiracy theories can get you somewhere. There's a ready-made audience for it, but they can only get you so far. So we're seeing a lot of obviously use of conspiracy theories in this
0: election. Has, have conspiracy theories sort of shown up in previous elections? In I mean, obviously not in the same way, but have any elections in the past been known for the use of conspiracy theories at all?
1: Well, people are always conspiratorial in the U.S., so there's always a certain group that buy into that sort of logic. Um, but the difference in 2016 is that the elites are doing it, and we had two major party candidates who were whose campaigns were just invested in conspiracy theorizing. Trump was one, but Bernie Sanders was the other his whole campaign was built on that the 1% had rigged the economy and they had rigged the entire political system. Now, it's a $20 trillion economy. You can't rig it. And the political system is so diffuse and there's so many different levels of government and agencies and whatnot. You can't rig it all. And this 1% of anything just can't rig everything for everybody else. Um, It just doesn't happen and, and it can't happen in the U.S., And Bernie Sanders also used, you know, conspiracy theories similar to the way Hitler did. You know, just like Hitler said the Jews were both capitalists and communists at the same time, Bernie Sanders says the 1% has rigged the economy and they're gambling in the economy. Well, it's not both. It can't be both. So he's throwing any conspiracy theory out there um, about the 1%. um, but the, one, the things that hold Trump and Bernie together, even though they seem so disparate, is that they're both from outside the system. Trump is not a real Republican. He's never held any office. And his views don't seem to match that of the Republican establishment for the most part. Bernie Sanders is the same thing. He caucuses with the Democrats in Congress, but he doesn't run as a Democrat. He's never identified as one. He identifies as a socialist. So they're both outsiders, and they both have to make the case that the establishment is wrong, and they're right. And there's a there's a neat logic to that. It lends itself to conspiracy theorizing. So if you have to come in and say, well, I'm this outsider, you have to explain why the insiders are all wrong. And the insiders have been Creating the system, generating knowledge, um, doing things for a long time, and you have to say, not only are they wrong, but you have to explain why and say they're corrupt and they're conspiring.
2: So when you put it that way, it makes the distrust of elites, the distrust of those in power, much more. It, it, it explains the connection between someone who's more likely to be conspiratorial and someone who just doesn't trust elites. Now, do you think that that's a necessary element? Because right now in the UK we've seen um, the results of when the majority of the population do not trust elites or experts in a certain realm, for instance, on the impact of Brexit on the economy. We've seen like, what result that can actually have electorally. Now, do you think that this, the combination of the distrust of the elites and of the use of conspiratorial thinking in the election is actually going to have an impact on the way people vote in November?
1: Yes, absolutely. So one thing that we see in the U.K. that's a little bit different than in the U.S. is that distrust of elites is higher over here, and it's sort of a separate dimension than what you find in the U.S., um, than conspiracy theorizing. And um, there have been polls on this where concerns about elites you know, tend to be in Europe because you have this class system. Um, where in America, it's a, it's a little bit less fear of elites and more fear of just government in general. Um, now, in the U.S. specifically, there are people who distrust government, but that is a separate thing than thinking the government is out to get you or that corporations are out to get you or some other group is out to get you. Because you can say, I don't think that this group or that group have my best interests at heart. That's different than saying they're secretly trying to get me. Um, so there's a very different mindset there, and I, and I think those things kind of came together to drive Brexit, where you had this distrust of elites, and then you have a lot of conspiracy theories too, um, and you get all those things together, and that's probably how they were able to get Brexit to pass. Now, in the weeks leading up to the Brexit vote, uh, there were polls taken of people who were going to vote in each direction, and the people who were voting Brexit, um, you know, believed that the European Union was hiding further plans of integration until after the vote, so they weren't telling people about what they had planned, what they had planned for, and and they weren't being honest. Um, a lot of people, I think it was about forty-five percent of people voting for Brexit, believed that uh, the vote was going to be um, tampered with and would be fraudulent, and. As I watched this on Twitter the night that it was taking place, they're saying vote with pens because if you write in pencil, they're going to change the vote. Um, but now it's an interesting thing. They don't know what to do with themselves. You know, now that they won, I think that a lot of the Brexiters wanted to express um, this distrust they had and some of the feelings they were having. Um, but now there might be some buyer's remorse. It is different to go from being, you know, an outsider, somebody who's against. Um, what's been taking place somebody who's against the dominant institutions and now you turn into the winner I mean to put this into terms of the uh, of the of the uh, podcast ball you know <laughs> in terms of baseball this happened in 2004 when the Red Sox won the when the series because the Red Sox fans were the angriest most bitter people you could ever meet because um, they never won anything for for decades and decades just very bitter people and and the reason I say this is partly because I was born in New Haven which is and so that's essentially greater part of of New York so I grew up a Yankees fan big fan of Reggie Jackson in the late 70s and early 80s then I moved to New Hampshire and then the kids all beat me up all those Red Sox fans then the Red Sox win it in 2004, and what they found was that everyone had to go see a psychiatrist or a psychologist in the following months because their identity had changed. They're like, oh my God, we're a winner. We don't know what to do with ourselves now. Um, so it took them some time to adjust. But if you go there now, they're a much happier people. So given Trump's deploying of conspiracy
0: theories and stuff, do you think that that tactic in, in in national elections, or it's even in the lower, election. is are we, is that here to stay? Is will twenty twenty see, whoever or twenty twenty four see just as many conspiracy theories thrown around, or is it more about Trump's persona and, and Obama specifically? And
1: well, if Trump wins, I mean, I think he might rely on it, but it would be t- it's tough for a president to come out and say that shadowy forces are aligned against us. It doesn't work when you're the most powerful person in the world. And that sort of tactic has been tried before. So, when Bill Clinton was having all of his troubles, his wife came out and said, Well, there's a vast right wing conspiracy to get us. And it became a, a, a punchline. Um, nobody believed that Bill Clinton's troubles were due to a vast right wing conspiracy. In 2012, when Obama was starting his re election campaign, He put out a video, or a a short commercial, it only made it to YouTube, they never aired it, I don't think. Um, And it said that the president's record was being obscured by these um, secret oil billionaires who wanted to get him. It it hit the ground with a thud. Because nobody can view the president as being a victim. Right, so conspiracy theories tend to work for outsiders and for people who are, you know, quote-unquote losers, right? So Bernie and Trump can use them when they're on the outside. Now that Trump is essentially a major party nominee, it's going to be interesting to see how much leverage he can get out of it. But thus far, since he's secured the nomination, his conspiracy theories have not done that much for him. In fact, they've probably hurt him, and he's squandered opportunities because he hasn't gone more mainstream. Now, I do hope, that, you know, I do hope of course, that Trump doesn't win, And I hope that his rhetoric goes away because there is a serious danger there. I mean, when people throw conspiracy theories about the government or about the president, there's no real danger in that because those things are protected, right? I mean, we say things about President Obama, but he has, you know, a security force around him. And people should be able to think whatever they want in a free society. But when the conspiracy theories attack the most vulnerable among us the immigrants and the minorities and say they're murderers and they're rapists and they want to kill us and hundreds of them know what's going on and they won't tell us um, he's setting expectations to a point where is if he doesn't act or if somebody else doesn't act either by building the wall or kicking all the Muslims out or whatever he's saying he wants to do somebody else might take action on their own um, perhaps in a, in a taxi driver kind of way Um, with vigilante justice and I don't um, I don't think that's a healthy thing to have people with a microphone saying that sort of stuff
2: for those of our listeners who haven't spent as much time watching videos of Donald Trump talking about his different conspiracy theories can you give us some examples of what conspiracy theories he engages in which one he promote even
1: So the conspiracy theory that Donald Trump is most associated with is the idea that President Obama was born somewhere else. And if you add in the college transcript thing, I think his general idea is that President Obama is hiding stuff about his past. And his interests aren't really with that of the American people, but with something else. Maybe with Muslims, maybe with Muslim countries. Um, but he is not a true American and doesn't care about America or regular Americans. Whereas, of course, Donald Trump does. Um, beyond that, I don't think there's a thing he hasn't conspiracy theorized about in the last couple of months. And they, you know, they range from bizarre to even more bizarre. I mean, the idea that Ted Cruz's father was involved in the JFK assassination just. It was the weirdest thing because journalists were writing, "We don't know how to cover this. This is so ridiculous. We haven't seen this before." And in every election, there are some, you know, dirty accusations and con- some conspiracy theorizing. In twenty twelve, Harry Reid and the Obama campaign came out and said Mitt Romney's never paid taxes. The word's out on the street, and they were lying, and they knew they were lying, you know. And that's dirty stuff. But that was about the worst that they. You know, did in terms of a conspiracy theory about Romney um, but here Donald Trump is conspiracy theorizing about everybody and it's not just the current president, it's not just his opponent it's about people in his own party he said the entire process was rigged and then he won and then he stopped saying it was rigged of course he said recently that a group of Republicans are trying to oust him at the nomination and he said he's on the lookout for that conspiracy and he's going to foil it he says that Hillary Clinton has been co opted by interests who now have their thumb on her because of the email scandal, whether it's other countries um, who know what's in her email or Obama, who's now made a deal with her to let her off in exchange for doing whatever he wants for the next four years. Um, so the, the list goes on and on. I mean, and they range not just in politics, too, but also in, you know, he's anti vaxxer. He says that vaccines cause autism. And he said it multiple times on his twitter, so there doesn't there doesn't seem to be a conspiracy theory that he doesn't like and and wouldn't endorse and even most Republicans aren't into nine eleven conspiracy theories, but he's been dancing with them throughout the um, primary season, mostly because he wanted to tie jeb bush 's brother George W. Bush to some sort of conspiracy theory
0: so I'm thinking, like, how would you compare the kind of conspiracy theories that happen in the UK to this kind of the U.S. stuff? Because I think here, the the main one is sort of, you know, the royals killed Diana. We just don't, even though, I mean, our population is a lot smaller, we just don't seem to have as many conspiracy theories floating around. Is there anything, any insights, is there something about the British psyche?
1: It's hard to know what country is more conspiratorial than any others, and... Even in the U.S. it's tough to know Because we know about the big conspiracy theories We know the birthers and the truthers And the the JFK conspiracy theories Because those are big and they're big right now But those are just the big fish There's a ton of little fish out there They come and go in the night A few people believe it And then it floats away So in the U.S. recently Oh my God, Obama killed uh, Justice Scalia You know, there was a pillow on his head you know, and it was really that the pillow was above his head, where you would normally have a pillow. Instead, so they say it was on his head. So it had to be the worst assassin in the world. He went and suffocated him with the pillow and left the pillow right on the head. <laughs> Didn't bother to move it. So one thing we did uh, with the U.S. to find out, you know, what are all the conspiracy theories that are out there, is we looked through letters to the editor of the New York Times for a period of 120 years and got about 120,000 letters, read them all, and picked out the ones that espoused some form of conspiracy theory. So with that, it wasn't that we were looking for a specific conspiracy theory, but any conspiracy theory. So we netted a whole bunch of stuff that you would never normally hear about, from the governments trying to kill all our dogs, to the CIA created lesbianism in a laboratory. So there's a ton there's a ton of them out there and even if you just look at the last the last few years during the obama administration you know you have ones that pop up quickly and then disappear like obama blew up the deepwater horizon well to push his green agenda obama did sandy hook to push his gun agenda so anything that happens obama's doing it and that's exactly right there is a power dynamic there is that whoever has power in the us gets accused so during the 2000s, everyone was like, George W. Bush and Blackwater and Cheney and they're in Halliburton, and they're all doing all these terrible things, and they blew up 9-11. And then nobody cared after Obama won, and suddenly it was the birth certificate and the transcripts and everything else that Obama's done. So, so there's a strategic logic there. The people who are out of power, the losers, throw the accusations at the winners, at the people who are in power.
0: Well, that's it for this installment of Extra Innings. Or is that just what we want you to think? The Ballpark is produced by Denise Barron, with contributions from co-hosts Sophie Donzelman and Chris Gilson, that's me, and also with help from the LSE's High Five Bid Fund and the U.S. Embassy in London. Our theme tune is by Ranger and the Rear Rangers, a Seattle-based gypsy jazz band. Look them up at Ranger Swings. They're fab. The content and opinions expressed in this podcast do not reflect those of the U.S. Centre or the London School of Economics. We'd love to know what you think of the show, Let us know on Twitter at LSE underscore ballpark or send us an email at uscenter at lse.ac.uk. You can also send us an audio message of up to one minute with your comments. We'll feature your opinions, tweets, emails, and audio recordings on an Extra Innings podcast later this season. Join us next time when we're discussing the well-worn path between the LSE and the USA. Thanks for listening.